0: You have a Visa card. You can thank D. Hawk is his name, H-O-C-K. He was the founder and uh, former CEO of Visa Card until a few years ago. Retired in 1984 and started writing about leadership and leadership development. And in his writing, he talks about the four key groups a person is responsible to lead. It's very interesting how he frames this. He says, first, you're responsible to lead your subordinates, if you have any people that you have authority over. Second, you lead your peers. Third, you lead your managers and your superiors. And then fourth, he said, you lead yourself. Now, the percentages he gives for that is rather fascinating. He puts it this way. You should spend at least 25% of your time leading your managers. Interesting, the people who supervise, you spend 25% leading them, influencing them. About 20% of your time leading your peers. About 5% of your time leading and managing those over whom you have authority. 5%. But then he says, the big revelation is you should spend 50% of your time leading yourself. 50% of your time leading yourself. In other words, it is the management of the self that should occupy 50% of our time and the best of our ability. In other words, the most important person we can lead is ourselves. The most important leadership we practice is self-leadership. The only person we have any control over is our own self. I'll come back to that in a few moments. You've heard this quote before. Leo Tolstoy, the Russian philosopher and novelist, wrote this, Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself or herself. So for today's purposes, I'll paraphrase it just a bit. Everyone thinks it's a good idea that others follow Jesus, but no one thinks of following Jesus themselves or what that looks like for them. This passage that Benita read after the resurrection John records the scene. Jesus appears to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, it as Jesus. They come ashore, have breakfast, Then it's followed up by this conversation between Jesus and Peter. And it's a very powerful conversation where Jesus affirms his love for Peter three times. Now, that's significant. We won't spend a lot of time on that, but it's significant because if you know the story, Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three. And every time I read that, I think of the grace of God and how the grace of God matches our failures every single time. In other words, I cannot outfail God's love. I cannot outfail God's grace. And all Jesus asks Peter is this, do you love me? That's all I ask. Peter says, yes. In other words, I don't have to do anything more than just affirm my love. That's it. Well, as Peter and Jesus are walking, Peter turns and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Peter sees this disciple and he says, "Well, Lord, what about him?" To which Jesus replies, "If I want him to remain until I come, what difference does that make? You must follow me." Well when we hear the word "follow," we have this image of someone who kind of lags behind, just walks wherever Jesus walked, but it has a deeper meaning. It means to accompany or assist. It's inviting folks not just to listen from a distance, but to be engaged, to be involved, to walk alongside. It's, it's literally to be an apprentice. When I was in high school, I had a job as an engraver at a jewelry store, and I learned simply by following the engraver around. I just sat and watched everything she engraved. And then I practiced on things like Zippo lighters and, and, and ID bracelets. Remember those? Um, and sterling silverware that had already been scratched up. And I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and then I would watch her and then I would practice some more and she would show me this and I would do it and then all of a sudden she was gone and I was an engraver. There's something about the whole process of following Jesus where we watch and we listen and we pay attention and we practice and we practice and we practice and we just become that as part of living it in our everyday life. That's what it means to follow but it's interesting where in this context, he really simply says, don't worry about this other person. You follow me. Let me read a, a thought from Mark Scandrett, who's a pastor and author. Here's what he has to say. The invitation to follow the way of Jesus doesn't help us cope with the busy lives we have or support our quest for the American dream. It does offer this a radical alternative to the ways of the world that are making us hurried, weary, and tired. We're being invited to discover a way of life in surrender to the master that is more fulfilling and free than any way that we could imagine or make for ourselves. All we have to do, and all we can do, is take our next step into this kingdom of love, not comparing ourselves with anyone else, but listening to the voice of the teacher showing us how to begin. When I hear what he has to say there, it really helps me in this process of what does it mean to follow Jesus, and what does it mean to do it in a way that has integrity and faithfulness to it? I just want to pick out a couple words that he offers. He says, taking our next step. When I hear him say this, I hear him simply inviting me to think about what is that next step that I need to take in my own life? That will move me forward in faithfulness, in wholeness, and integrity to the way of Jesus. Following Jesus in the kingdom of love is never about looking backwards. It's always about looking forward. Jesus didn't dwell on Peter's past. Jesus focused on moving Peter forward and taking those next steps. So when I hear him say, taking our next step, I ask myself this question. What is my next step? Is my next step listening more deeply? Is my next step practicing loving more intently? Is my next step being faithful more to what this kingdom of love looks like and living out the kingdom in my own life? What is the next step in my journey? What is the next step in your journey that would look like you following Jesus and in a way that has integrity to it? And then he talks about listening to the voice of the teacher, which I really, really like, because if there's one signature phrase that we as Quakers have, it's Christ has come to teach his people himself. So we listen to the voice of our own inward teacher as we embark on this journey, and we know that we can trust that because it's this teacher that can speak to our condition and your condition directly and personally. I can offer what I need to offer and and we can read and we can listen to other people, but the one who knows us best already resides within us. And so as we listen about taking these next steps, often these next steps are in the form of what our inward teacher speaks to us and what we hear and what we listen and what that looks like. And what I have found, as much as I would like to make it very, very theoretical, It's very rarely theoretical. It's always practical. It's always in my everyday world. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with issues of forgiveness. It has to do with issues of jealousy. It has to do often with issues of judging. It has to do with issues of fear. It has to do with all of that on how I just lean into it and step into it and listen to what my inward teacher, the living Christ, is speaking to me and say, move forward in this. Because as you do, you will experience greater wholeness. As you do, you'll experience greater life. But this last part, and this is in relationship to what Jesus said to Peter, is where I find most challenging. And this is what I hear Mark Scandrett, the author, saying, what I hear D. Hawk saying, pulling all these people together, and what I hear Jesus saying. Don't compare your journey with anyone else's. This seems to be the trap Peter was climbing into, turning around and asking the other disciple, but what about him? To which Jesus replied, don't worry about him. You follow me. I find that oftentimes in my own spiritual journey, I spend more time worrying about others than I do focusing on myself. There's that 50% that I forget. You know, D. Hawk said... The one person you can lead is yourself, spend 50% of the time there. I spend 50% of my time worrying about others and knowing what they should be doing and what they should be thinking and what they should be leaving and how they should be acting. And I keep hearing Jesus say, well, don't worry about them. You follow me. A part that this really is hard for me to navigate sometimes is I have some very activist friends. We all do. And I'm an activist at times. But what I find is sometimes I may not be in the same page as they are in how to respond to issues in this world. Now, I may believe the same way they do, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, but I may not respond in the same way. Some of them are more into protests. Some of them may be more into rallies. I may be more into a more quiet way of approaching and addressing the issue. It's sort of like when you go see a movie. And you see a great movie. And you tell a person, have you seen that movie? And they say, yeah. And you say, it was great. And they say, eh, it wasn't all that good. And you're thinking, wow. And I thought you were a Christian. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But what I find is if I don't sometimes respond in the way some do, I begin thinking my spiritual journey isn't what it needs to be and I compare mine with them. I'm not brave enough. I'm not courageous enough. I'm not activist enough. And then I begin to question everything I believe and everything I do and everything I feel about it. And then I get angry at them. And I know I've been that way with some folks probably too, where I may approach something in a certain way, and because they don't respond and act in the same way I do, I maybe question how they believe about it or I question if they're really serious about it. But then I hear Jesus say, don't worry about him. You follow me. So then I realize that's who I need to be spending my time on, is myself. I need to be faithful to how God has called me. I need to be faithful to how the living Christ has called me. I need to be faithful to whatever next steps I need to live into. I need to be faithful to whatever the voice of my inward teacher speaks to me. I need to be faithful to all that. I can love those around me, but I can't necessarily tell them how they need to do it or who they need to be. They will discover that in due time, I hope and I pray. I can only be faithful to how God has called me. Paul Anderson, a Quaker, writes this. Some Christian groups ask, how can we be certain of our salvation? Others wonder, how can we be sure we are right? Still others will inquire, how can we do good in the world? The Quaker question, however, has always been this. How can we be most radically and effectively true followers of Jesus? When this question is lived faithfully, the other questions tend to take care of themselves what does it look like for you to radically and effectively be a follower of Jesus? How does that play itself out in your life? What are the implications? What are the changes that you may need to make? What are the next steps you may need to take? Who does it mean you need to become? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to lean into? And as I hear that, of course, my first response will be for myself. I really know somebody who needs to pay attention to this. And I hear Jesus saying, uh-uh. If they don't follow me, if they choose to follow me, what is that to you? You follow